Well, I'm thankful for the opening that Brother Jim shared with us, and um, as usual, I could just keep running on about some of the thoughts that came to my mind as he was sharing in that, but uh, we'll we will proceed here and, and continue on. Thank him also for his prayer on both our behalf and your behalf as hearers today, and and truly I. I do desire that that the Spirit of God would uh, speak today, and if any good thing should come from our gathering today, I certainly want to give God all of the glory and all the praise. Um, does anybody tell us just instantly what the very first song was that we sang this morning? Riches of grace. Good job. We're saved by the grace of our God. I want to open just with a, a couple of comments concerning grace. You know, uh, in, in life, it's kind of a, a human tendency that if something is given to us as a gift long enough okay let's just let's just use an example if uh, many of people in this world would start to receive a stimulus payment two or three times a year and that went on for a number of years it's very common for people to suddenly transition from that being a, a gift that they're grateful for and realize that they didn't really do anything to deserve it, they transition into a, uh, a sense of entitlement. To where suddenly if that payment would be cut off, perhaps even the... Uh, the congressmen might start getting knocks on their doors and calls on their phones saying, where's my payment? Where's my entitlement? I think the Apostle Paul saw the, and no doubt by inspiration of the Spirit, saw that tendency in, in men as well concerning the grace of God. And I just want to begin by, by looking at a couple of verses in the fifth chapter of Romans. Familiar with you? You may turn there if you want. Uh, you don't need to. But there in the fifth chapter, I just want to jump in at the end of that. I'm going to, I want to read a couple of verses uh, beginning at verse 17. And it says, For if by one man's offense, that being Adam, I believe, death reigned by one, much more, they which received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in the life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one 
shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's an interesting verse to think about. This verse, if I understand it correctly, verse 20 is saying, Moreover, the law entered entered that the offense might abound. In other words, the law was instituted to define sin. You see, before the law, there was no clarity of what was wrong or right. And yet the law defined to man what was acceptable or righteous in the eyes of God and what was evil or sin. And, and today, in, in our society that we live in, at least as, as believers, we have grown up with the enlightenment of much right and wrong. But really, you, and, and we, would, we would look at something as awful as murder, and we would say, it goes without saying. That's, there's, there's no misunderstanding that, that murder is just an awful evil. And yet, when you go back and look at the old law, even, even in the old law, murder was defined as wicked, but the old law said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And basically it, said, it was saying that if you kill me, my family has the, the, the freedom to take your life. And so with that understanding, before there was any law, before there was that law of eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, why would man have seen anything wrong with just going out and taking someone's life? If man was, man's life, or the law of a man's own life would have been survival of the fittest. What's wrong with anything? But the law put clarity to what God saw as acceptable or righteous or unacceptable and sin. But then he goes on and he and and certainly when the law came, it defined and it showed mankind that there was an awful lot of sin and an awful lot of evil in this world. But then it goes on and it says, but where sin abounded, where this law defined that there was so much evil to partake of, to to enter into in this world, even though there was so much, grace was even greater than that. So now going back to our, our first comments, first thoughts there about entitlements on things that we're really not entitled to. They were free gifts to us. I wonder if if Christendom hasn't taken and maybe even from the scriptures and and formed a, a misconstrued understanding of what of what grace is. And because this verse says that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And it's almost like Paul had the foresight or the unction of the Spirit to know what possibly might be going through the minds of men. Because when you read that, the human nature might think, oh, well, 
if there's more grace than there is sin, that means we can just live in sin, we can enjoy the pleasures of sin, and grace will cover it. We have the best of both worlds. Whether Paul saw that or coming or whether he already saw it in the, in the church here at Rome, he continues then on down in the next chapter. He says, what, shall, what then? What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we go ahead and sin because we have this gift of grace? That is an abuse of grace. And, and really, this gift of grace that, that we're saved by, we sang, we're saved by the grace of, of God. And also there's the scripture that says, by grace are ye saved through faith. So this salvation by the grace of God is a free gift. But I wonder sometimes if as Christians, we, we don't move through life and suddenly we almost feel entitled to this thing of, of salvation. Well, before we leave this passage, there, there's one verse that I don't want to go unnoticed that we read, and it's verse 19. It says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one. And I want us to think a little bit about uh, obedience to the commandments of God. It says, By the obedience of one. And who was that? Jesus Christ. It says, it says that he was obedient even unto death. And, you know, in, in America today, we can still be Christians pretty easy. We, we have it really easy. But I wonder, are, are we, have, have we spent much time thinking about being committed to Christ and being obedient to him? Being obedient to our Heavenly Father unto death. Is, is our Christianity, is our faith in Jesus Christ, is that a mountain that, that we are willing and ready to die on? Being obedient unto death. Um, there's, there's also a verse, and then I want to go to a story in the Old Testament, but there's another verse here in 1 John chapter 5, just a couple of verses there. It says, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. I I don't know, but as I as I look back at some of the the details of the old law, I, I think we would unanimously agree that isn't it a wonderful thing to live under the new dispensation of grace? Certainly it is. As I look at the old law, it would almost seem that many of the the details of the of the commandments of God would seem to me a bit grievous. But under grace and through grace, the things that God requires of us, really, in one place it says, those things are our reasonable service. 
and they're not they're not grievous and and yet you know it's it's also i think important that we not forget that the adversary that we that we struggle against that we grapple with on a daily basis is not going to allow the christian endeavor to be a a stroll in the park it takes commitment i I think, and, and I, I'm quite sure that even Brother Jim has, has used this, this thought a number of times at home, and I, and I appreciate it. And it, that is that as Christians, God longs to work his, his power through us. But, but he, he will not do it without some input. We have to, and, and I believe the, the phrase that our brother has shared before, we have to give him something to work with. And, and so as we think about um, being obedient to God, um, I just want us to, to know that even though walking with God is, is it's a joy and his commandments are not, are not grievous, they're not unreasonable, but they are required of us. And, and I think that we have to be careful that we don't try to let grace become a cheap commodity in our Christian experience and think that, well, let's just, let's just make this, this walk with Christ. Let's make it easy. And where we misstep, grace will cover. Now, I can testify that the grace of God can cover a multitude of sins. And yet, as, as, Paul shared with us there in Romans. Can our focus, can our, can our bent be that we can just continue down a, a wrong road believing that grace can abound? And, and he says, God forbid. So I want to think a little bit about the seriousness of obedience to God. And so... I'm going to take us back to a story in the Old Testament, one that's familiar. I'd like to engage maybe the, the young people here a little bit, if you care to uh, to join in here. You know, when King Saul was the first king of Israel, and King, uh, king Saul started out, I believe, a, a good king. But can any of you tell tell us what the the final event that took place in the life of Saul where God said now is it's your kingdom is is taken away from you what was that story about we're going to go to that <clears throat> What was one of the last acts that King Saul did before he lost his crown as king? Anyone? In yeah, disobedience. But uh, let's let's explain it a little bit. That's right. That's right. His commandment from God. We're gonna let's just go there and read it. Then I won't have to put it in my own words. Um, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28. 
28. That is not where I want to be. That's another mark I have. This is in 1 Samuel. You're probably raising your eye eyebrows wondering where I was going to find that story. So, yeah, in, uh, in 1 Samuel, chapter 15. Let's just begin reading here. Um, probably won't read... the whole story, but I want to, I want to begin so that we get a good picture of, of this story. Samuel also said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to, to Israel and how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in, in Telem, Telium, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the, the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou, until thou comest to Shur, that is, over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel that he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and is gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me uh, this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? 
And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners of the Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone in the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, and sacrifice uh, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And maybe we'll finish, stop reading there. Uh, this, this verse has always been um, kind of special to me, you know, because... Really, when you study, which I haven't, but I've heard enough um, mentioned of it, that the sacrifices that were required of God's people, they were many, and they were important. It's not like the sacrifices that God required were, were unimportant. They were important. But even that fact, it, it, it emphasizes the importance of obedience to God. When when Samuel says here, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And so when we start looking at at grace as a as a fix all covering over over our obedience to the commands of of Christ and of, of our Lord. It's a dangerous place to be. And it, grace is a wonderful thing, but when we abuse it, and, and God is the judge of that, we are not the ones who decide uh, when we've crossed that line. It's God who decides what obedience he will require and what he will allow uh, grace to cover. We don't have as many laws of God to, to toe the mark to as they did under the old law. We do have the wonderful thing called grace that, that, that carries us through some, some places where we simply are not able. I mean, the, it was proven, the law was given, really, in one sense, the law was given to prove that people could not gain righteousness through through works of law. It was going to take more. It was going to take the grace of God. And yet, the laws that, w- that, that we have, the commandments that we have, I never know whether to call them rules or laws or, or commandments. They're requirements that God gives us as Christians today. And, and I think we need to be careful that we don't confuse obedience to to Christ with uh, the grace that is offered to us. Now, I I'm probably should quit with that, but I'm, I'm a glutton for criticism. 
And so I want to I wanted to focus a little bit on the the importance of our obedience to God. We do not have the prerogative. We don't have the choice of of making exceptions to God's laws. But as a as a few items for for your thoughts as we as we finish I have a question and 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 I actually asked this question or or shared a part of what a couple of the things that I want to share here with our congregation at home some time ago. And at the end of that service a sister came up to me. She had tears in her eyes and she was a she was a bit concerned. And I'm glad she came up to me. I really am. That is that's what we ought to do when we have questions. We ought to address that. But I asked this question. Does God ever make exception to his rules or to his laws? So I'll let that just settle in just a little bit. What do you think? Does God ever make exception to his laws? And as we go through a couple of these examples, I think you'll understand that I believe that that God does occasionally make exception to his laws. But God, we have to remember, God is God. God has that prerogative. God can do whatever he wants because he is the great I am. And we can't take from that that we have the prerogative to make exceptions to God's laws. I just... uh, a couple of examples that I wrote down. You you remember, um, maybe not as well as I do, because one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible for me is the story of Jephthah. And you know the story of Jephthah, how that, how that he was alienated by his brethren, but then when things got tough for them, they called Jephthah back because he was this great man of valor. valor. He was a, he was a, a strategist, and, and he was a great man of war. And they called him back and they said, will you lead us into war? And so he agreed to that. And he went out and he fought this battle and the Lord gave him victory. But before he went into that that battle, he made his, his rash vow. And it's a vow that I know has been uh, <clears throat> a controversial subject over time. Some people uh, fault him. Some people uh, even have different takes on what actually happened. Uh, I take the, the scripture to mean that when Jephthah came back, his vow, of course, was that that if the Lord would give him victory as soon as he came home from that battle, that the first thing that came out of the doors of his house, he would sacrifice as a burnt offering unto God. And we know that, 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 the, that the first thing that came out of his house was his one and only child, his daughter. And and. And we know that under the Old Testament law, one of the Ten Commandments was thou shalt not kill. And so here we see in this vow um, that Jephthah, and and really, personally, I believe that Jephthah did not need to even make that vow. He wasn't required to make that vow. And so I think it would have been better had he not made that vow, but he did. And you see, Jephthah also, I believe he knew the word of God also, where in Numbers 30, verse 2, it says, If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. 
And so Jephthah put himself between a rock and a hard spot here. He really did. And yet, as you read the rest of the story of Jephthah, there is nowhere where God condemns him. I don't think God was happy with with the vow that he made. And yet, he honored him. Jephthah even went down, it recorded in, in the roll call of the faithful. And so, I am not going to condemn a man whom God in his word even did not condemn. I think that Jephthah was a man of God. And, and yet, that was one example where, where God did not, apparently, any record that we have, God did not, uh, condemn Jephthah, even though he, he did break that one law, thou shalt not kill. I think of Samson. It's another wonderful story and a very controversial one as well. We know that in De- Deuteronomy chapter seven, it says, uh, to, to God's people, it says, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter shall not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. And so Samson had, had specific orders. God had specific commandments to the children, to the, to his people that they were not to marry into the heathen nations. And we know what Samson did. And, and, and Samson has taken a lot of, uh, of flack, if you will, over his decision. And he, and he was disobedient into that. And, and it, and he seems he was disobedient to his parents. And everything kind of points at Samson as, as a wrongdoer in that. But anytime I hear this, I, I never hear people highlight one of the verses in there. In that story is in Judges 14. And this is the verse that I want to read. In Judges 14, verse 4, it says, But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord. Why would it have been of the Lord? It was that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And at the conception of Samuel, before he was ever born, God promised that Samson was going to be born, and it says, And he shall begin to redeem Israel. From their enemies, God had had predestined Samuel or, or Samson that he was going to to start a a salvation for the people of Israel, a salvation from their their enemies, and and so you know there was the law of God on one hand that said you may not go into a heathen nation and take wives or give your sons to their daughters or take take their daughters for your sons in, in marriage. And yet he said, it, and yet it says here in the case of Samson, he did that, but it says it was of the Lord that he might uh, s- seek an occasion against the Philistines. I think about this, the life of David, the man after God's own heart. And, and pro- I don't know if there's an account in, in scripture that's, that's referenced more than the sins of David. You know, sometimes I even, uh, refer to it as the sin of David, but the sins of David. In that one account of David's failure with Bathsheba, there was a number of sins committed there. There was adultery. There was murder. There was deception and all of these things. And, and we know what the, the old law said concerning adultery. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, it says, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. That was the command. 
That was the judgment on David's life. But God said through Nathan the prophet, he says, but thou shalt not die. Did God make an exception to his written law through Moses, through the Mosaic law? It would seem. Now, I don't want to make any mistake that there weren't consequences. I don't want to make the mistake that there weren't consequences to, to David's sin. There were absolutely, there were long, long lasting consequences to his sin. And certainly his, his child out of that uh, act of a, that adulterous act, his child's life was, was taken. And, and he had family issues with other sons down through time that, that were heartaches to him. And maybe they were, um, consequential to, to his sin. I don't know some of that, but sin always has consequences, but we don't have the, the freedom to say, well, God's law says this, but this happened here. And so I can do this. I don't believe we have that freedom to do, but the, the, the reason, the reason that I've brought this challenge for you to think about, about God making exceptions to, to his own laws is that sometimes I think we, we take the, the word, the, the written word, the Holy Scriptures. We sometimes call it the word of God in, in, if, if you, if you study way back in the early church, they, they usually referred to the, the written word as the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures here, which contains actual quotes and commandments of God, actual quotes and commandments of, of Christ, and, and, and then much of it is, is written by man, but it's inspired by the Spirit of God. We believe that. And so, but, but my concern or my, my reason for bringing these examples and asking this question, does God ever make exceptions to his laws? I believe God has that prerogative to do that. And I, I think the reason I want this to bring this out is that sometimes we take, we take the scriptures and we see what is said there and, and they are absolutely laws and commandments for us to obey to the very best of our abilities and by the grace of God. But at the same time, we, we can potentially take this written word and, and, and make a box out of it. This, this word that God inspired himself. And we can put God in, in his own box and lock him in his box and say, this is, you know, God can't do this because of this. And, and I believe that, uh, that we should never try to lock God in a box because he is God. And there, there's others, the, the, the adulteress, which the Pharisees brought to Jesus and says, this woman was taken, taken in the very act again. By the law, she should have been stoned. She should have been killed on the spot. And Jesus, Jesus said, where's your accusers? Well, they're all gone. And Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Some time ago, Brother Chad up home had a message. I, I forget. I didn't really. I, this just came to my mind here because I, I have one more example in that of of uh, telling lies. You know, there's a scripture 
uh, in Revelation, it says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. But uh, in Exodus, there's one short passage I want to read here, then we're going to, to close. Exodus chapter 1. This is, this is kind of an interesting read as well. I'll just read a few verses here. Exodus chapter 1, I'm going to start reading at verse 15. It says, And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was, was Shifra, and the name of the other was Puah. And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwife, midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said, and this is where the, the, the they didn't, they weren't honest. They didn't really tell the truth. They said, uh, the, the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and they are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. In other words, they were saying, they have their babies before we ever get there. But that wasn't necessary. And maybe that happened occasionally. And maybe that's how they justified what they said. But really, there was some deception in this thing. And yet, if you read down through here, God blessed those midwives for doing that. So what can we say? Can we... Can we come to the conclusion then, well, if we are trying to preserve human life, then we can tell a lie and God's okay with that. Or if, if, if we can, can tell an untruth in, in the, in the honor and glory of God, then it's okay to do that. It seems okay, but I'm not even going to say that we have the prerogative to do that. But at the same time, Right here is a story that, that, that shows that, that God perhaps is not a, he, he is not a, uh, what's the word I want? Well, there, there's a word I want and there's, when you have, when you have a file full of blanket, can't get the word. Anyway, when you have a, a set of written guidelines, this in this case, if someone comes, if, if this is, happens, you, you get out the, the instructions here, and well, this is how we deal with this. End of story. God looked at various situations, and he judged them accordingly. And we have to give God the latitude to do that because he's God. We can't, everything that God does, whether it makes sense to us or not, it's just. It's just, even the fact that he saved my sorry soul is, is to me, it's, it's not just. But God says it's just, so I can praise God for that. Psalm 103, I believe it is, says that he doesn't reward us like we deserve. That's a wonderful thing, because what I deserve and what he's given me through Christ. But 
See if I accept Christ and, and, and receive him, receive that gift, knowing that it's only of God's grace. God says it's just that I be his child. That's a wonderful thing. Let's don't put God in a box. Let's let God be God because he is God whether we try to allow him to be God or not. And yet at the same time, let's don't abuse the wonderful gift of grace that we have. Let's, let's commit to being obedient to the commands of God and Christ.